Welcome back as the IFC presents another episode of the Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malamus. We've got a great episode for you. The crew is all back today as Dr. Lahab Al-Samurai, Dr. Eric Tomlinson, and Dr. Lisa Hong continue our discussion, this time going over the story of the Rose Maiden. If you enjoy the IFC's Individuation Podcast and want to support, make sure to rate the podcast five stars on iTunes and wherever you get your podcasts. So without any further ado, Dr. Al-Samurai, take it away. Welcome back to another episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. I am Dr. Lahab El-Samurai, and with me today, as always, the Wrecking Crew. Lisa Hong is with us, Dr. Lisa Hong, and Dr. Eric Tomlinson is also with us. Greetings. So, um, the Wrecking Crew are going to go to Transylvania today. We're going to travel far and wide. We We haven't had a... Uh, a Romanian tale. This, um, I think, this is special. So, um, without further ado, um, who is reading first this afternoon? I think that's me, Doctor Eric. Take it away. Another tale from Transylvania. <laughs> I can't do it. Once there was a woman who lived in the forest. One day she came upon a poor orphan boy who had lost his way. She took pity on him and invited him into her home and cared for him like a true mother. When he had grown up, he said one day, Mother, I must go look for the Rose Maiden. Oh, but she is far away, my son. And if you should go that way, you will meet with great difficulties because she is guarded by a fierce dragon. But the boy had made up his mind and could not be held back. His forest mother gave him a bell and said, if you ever want something, then ring this bell. Then he went off and traveled a long, long way. One day he unexpectedly came upon a large swarm of bees. He asked the queen bee if she knew where the rose maiden lived. She did not know and she sent out her bees to collect information. Upon their return, they reported that they had found no news, but when the queen bee counted her bees, one was missing. Finally, the missing bee returned. She had been lamed on the way, but she brought the desired message that she had been in the neighborhood of the Rose Maiden. She offered to show the boy the way. He readily accepted, and she led him across a huge, wide meadow until they came to a forest. At the other side of the forest, the Rose Maiden lived in a big castle. The boy went there and asked for employment and promptly got a job as geese herder. The boy pastured his flock in the vicinity of the garden. Here he saw the rose maiden every day as she walked among the flowers. She was exceedingly beautiful. One day he overheard some courtiers saying that the rose maiden went 
every night to a ball in the city. That evening, he took his bell and rang it. Suddenly, there stood before him a copper horse, and beside it lay a copper jacket. He donned the cloak, jumped on the horse, and rode to the ball where he danced with the rose maiden, who she, <clears throat> who she seemed to like the handsome boy. Before the ball was over, however, he stole away, mounted his horse, and rode home. The rose maiden told her mother about the handsome boy in the copper jacket. The boy had, however, gone back to herding the geese and only furtively, furtively glanced into the flower garden. The next night, the rose maiden again went to the ball. The geese herder again rang his bell and immediately a silver horse stood ready and a silver jacket lay next to it. He threw on the jacket and rode into the city to the ball where he again entertained the rose maiden who enjoyed his company. Before the ball was over, however, he hurried away, mounted his horse and rode off. The following morning, the rose maiden told her mother about the handsome boy she had spoken with who was dressed in a silver coat. The boy was looking after his geese and only cast sidelong looks to the flower garden. The girl's mother wanted to get behind the secret of the handsome boy and advised her daughter to take some pitch with her to the ball and when she danced with the handsome boy to rub it into his hair. The next evening she again went to the ball and this time took the little piece of pitch with her. This time when the geese heard her rang his bell, a golden horse appeared along with a golden cloak. At the ball, he went right up to the rose maiden and danced with her. As her mother had advised, the girl rubbed the pitch into his hair as they danced. The boy did not notice and as usual left the ball before it was over and rode back to his sleeping hut. In the morning, the girl rose again and told her mother of the handsome boy who had come to the dance in a golden cloak and how she had put some pitch in his hair. On the day, the geese herder went right up to the wall and peeked into the garden. The girl was on the lookout, however, and when she saw him, she noticed the pitch in his hair disheveled. You are our savior, she cried out joyfully. And when the boy answered, and when the boy answered, that I would happily be. Then the girl's mother spoke and said, let us escape while the dragon is asleep. If he awakens, we will be lost. The boy went out, rang his bell three times. At once, the copper, silver, and golden horses were ready. He sat the rose maiden on the golden steed and wrapped her in his golden coat. The mother he mounted on the silver horse and gave her the silver coat. He himself jumped on the copper horse and put on the copper jacket. Then they all sprang off in haste. In the castle, there was a mighty barrel with three iron hoops. The dragon had been hibernating in that cask, but was just then waking up. Suddenly, one of the hoops sprang apart, then the second, and then the third. Each time, a crack resounded as powerful as a thunderbolt. Now the dragon rubbed his eyes and looked around. Where is my rose maiden? But nobody answered. Then he jumped up 
and looked in every room and all over the garden, but there was nobody there. He hurried to the stable, jumped on the stallion saying, take me to the thieves as fast as you can. It was not long before he reached the fugitives. As soon as the dragon approached, they became transfixed on the spot and could not move. Then the dragon thundered, I could smash you, you little earthworm, but that would bring me no fame. Then he took from the boy his bell, the copper, silver, and golden horses with the rose maiden and her mother and turned back to the castle. He looked back and taunted the boy. You could have saved the rose maiden if you had a horse from my mother like I have, but that will never happen. The dragon went to the castle and climbed back into his barrel to take another long rest. The iron rings themselves closed upon the barrel. The rose maiden and his mother were alone again. The girl cared for her flowers by day and no longer went to the ball at night. She always thought of her rescuer, but the boy had set off to find the dragon's mother. On the way, he saw a raven that had become entangled in a net. The raven asked the boy if he would help him out. He would repay in kind one day. The boy freed the bird who flew away. Further along, he came upon a fox stuck in a trap who could not get away. Help me, said the fox, and I will reward you later. The boy set the fox free and it ran into the woods. Then when the boy was walking along a shore of the sea, he came upon a large fish that was floundering in the sand. Put me back into the water and I will reward you later, spoke the fish. The boy did this and soon after he saw a hut in the woods. Here lived the dragon's mother. He knocked at the door and asked if she would take him into her service. Oh yes, you shall guard my mare. And what shall I give you as your yearly wage? Said the old woman. A foal born in the clouds, said the, said the boy. So it shall be, replied the old woman. But if you ever do not bring my mare back home, your life is up. This witch had taken many young men into her service and had killed them all. Next morning, the boy brought the mare out to pasture. She soon, however, vanished completely from sight. Although he looked long and everywhere, he could not find her. Evening was fast approaching. Then he called the raven and said, help me if you can. The bird said the mare was in the clouds and has brought a foal into the world. Come and sit on my neck and I will take you there. The bird flew the boy to the mare and was able to bring the mare and the foal home. The old woman was surprised. The following morning, he drove out the mare and her foal. Again, the mare disappeared with the foal and although he searched every nook and cranny, he could find no trace of them. The fox came by and the boy reported of his distress. The fox spoke right up and said, they are in a mountain cave and she has brought another foal into the world. Come and sit on my tail and I will take you there. That the boy did and he entered the cave through a foxhole and drove the mare and the two foals home. The witch again made big eyes when she saw her mare and the two foals. On the third day, he drove out the mare, this time with two foals. Again, they all immediately vanished from his sight. He sought after them the whole day but could find no trace. When evening came, he came to the seaside and looked sadly in the waters. Suddenly, the big fish, whose life he had saved, swam up and asked him why he was so sad. 
The boy told all about his plight. The fish said, she is at the bottom of the ocean and has since given birth to a third foal. If you want, I will take you there. The big fish took the boy in his mouth and swam to where the mare and her three fillies were. Then the boy drove them all ashore and back to the old woman's hut. The old woman did not know how, how all this happened. She had nowhere else to hide the mare and her foals. And so the boy grazed them on the field until the year was up. Then she said, now you can choose a filly. And he chose the eldest. It had grown into a beautiful mare. Then the boy rode on his horse to rescue the rose maiden. As soon as he was close, his mare began to neigh. The dragon's young stallion in the bard heard the whinny and started to neigh and stomp the ground so hard that everything began to shake. The dragon awoke in his barrel as his year's sleep was just ending. The three iron hoops broke with a great bang one after the other. He heard the neighs, jumped up and ran to the barn, but the stallion had already broken loose and was feverish to run to the mare. The dragon grabbed him by the mane and swung himself upon his back and tried to subdue him. This only excited the young stallion more and he bucked until his dragon fell off. The wild stallion trampled the dragon under his hooves until he was dead. Then he ran out the barn, jumped the castle wall and headed out after the mare. When the boy had arrived at the palace, he jumped down from his mare, climbed over the garden hedge, greeted and embraced the rose maiden. His mare had turned around and was on her, back to, on her way back to the old woman and the other fillies with the stallion right on her tail. Now the boy was king of the castle and retrieved his bell and his three magical horses again. Then he took the rose maiden in a marriage and they all lived gloriously and joyfully ever after. This is a good story. <clears throat> it's a fascinating story because we, we, have, we have seen the story over and over again. We've read the story. Um, in different cultures, we've read this story. Um, you stop on the road and you help the animals out. The animals return the favor when you end up getting in trouble. You take the time to care for others. Others, in turn, turn around and care for you. So let's take a look at the story. So it's another orphan boy, right? So he doesn't even have a name. Mm -hmm. At one point, they referred to him as the geese herder. But he's the boy throughout the story, which is interesting about the story. But he claims his name at the end. Ooh. Yeah. Talk more about that. He claims his name, I am the king, right? Ooh. Is that right? Now the boy was king of the castle at the very end. Yeah, so mm -hmm. at the end, he has a name. Mm -hmm. So he doesn't have anything at the beginning. He's not just an orphan. He doesn't even have a name, right? So this is the, <clears throat> this is the orphan that nobody cared about. But there's an old woman in the woods, right? 
And the old woman in the woods <clears throat> in fairy tales is betrayed either as the witch or as the barren mother. Either she is the shadow of the barren mother or she is the barren mother. Right? And so the archetype of the orphan. So there's an archetype of the orphan. The orphan is, because the orphan does not belong to a um, mortal mother and father. The orphan um, belongs to um, mother earth and father sky. He does not belong to the mortal world. And that's why magical things happen to the orphan because he or she are not of this world. So um, she took pity on him, invited him into her home and cared for him like a true mother. When he had grown up, he said, one day, mother, I'm going to go and look for the rose maiden. And then the story begins. And the story is a warning. Always before you embark on your journey, there is a warning. They tell you what not to do. Right? And the warning is from his mother. She tells him it's very far away. And if you should go that way, you will meet the great difficulties because she is guarded by a fierce dragon. So you have to face the dragon. The dragon is always the quintessential um, transformative alchemical action. It is a mystical beast that rains fire, that flies in the sky, that bears eggs, and that exists in multiple cultures. And some celebrated, in some an enemy. <clears throat> in this case, the dragon is the enemy. Usually the dragon is some form of God in Chinese mythology, so we look at the dragons in a very different way. Um, in European folklore, the dragon is looked on as a destructive um, element, a menacing element. <clears throat> yeah, he's a dark energy, it seems like, that doesn't want to let go of, of all the good things Ooh. you know the the and, and interestingly enough the boy who's a little bit like cinderella uh Ooh. and <clears throat> you, you know the boy has to go i mean he goes from copper to silver to gold Ooh. you know which you know is each one of those is an increase in value of metal so he, he reaches he, he goes three different levels of value before, before the story turns into something else. 
-hmm. So it, it's like he's this nameless, this nameless herder that is going through a journey and he's very rapidly reaching the next level of pure, whatever you want to call it, purity, success, value, well, consciousness. I mean, these are different levels of consciousness, right? Yeah. We're talking about because the gold is the symbol of the sun. It's the ultimate form of consciousness. So it is it is the it is the form of the, the reason we we value gold so much is because unconsciously we have connected it to the sun archetypally it's connected to the sun its glow is that of the sun and that's why we value it above all other metals that's why it has this unique archetypal value all of the things that you talked about dr eric is uh archetypal right copper yeah. silver all of these are different forms of metal archetypally Gold is the most precious because that is equated with the sun. And it's also very malleable. It's one of the few metals that you can literally shape with without a lot of pressure. Um, and, and it retains its look better than most other metals do Ooh. as well. Um, yeah. it, it's, got it's got a special place. It's, it's got a special value. Um, and interestingly enough, I, I, I read not too long ago that there's so little of it, or at least there's so little of it that we found that you could take all the gold that's ever been found on our planet and it would only fill up the base of the Statue of Liberty. Ooh, interesting. It's not a lot. I mean, it is a lot, but it's really not a lot compared to most other metals. Well, yeah. And that's something we've talked about in the past. And we think that's one of the reasons why the value is so high. But in the beginning, it was because archetypally we're connected to it. That's where we formed our relationship to it. In this story, this is where he finds he finds his treasure. His treasure is that he, he has, he's born with nothing, right? The divine child is born with everything. The orphan child, the other archetype, is born with nothing. The parent is always either infirm or very old and a single parent whether father or mother, usually elderly, and they care for the kid. So they can't play with him. They can't like exist with him in his world there. So the boy is kind of left to his own vices and the parental figure um, is like caretaker. They, they make food, you know, they make sure that the boy is safe, but really cannot really parent him. And usually the story goes is that it's when um, they both need each other. 
So the orphan needs somebody in the world to um, help him get older so he doesn't um, perish without any kind of safety, any kind of home, any kind of shelter, any kind of safety. Um, so, and he's usually paired with somebody who is very lonely, who has either tried to have children or couldn't have children, or their partner died, usually the story goes, um, but usually not fertile in these stories. And so they pair these two up and um, she takes care of the boy as like a, like he's a divine gift as best as she can with the, so, so if she's really, really poor, she splits whatever she has with the boy or feeds the boy and goes hungry. Um, if she has food, she feeds the boy and clothes the boy, but she doesn't have enough to, for the boy to stay and kind of grow. The boy has to move on, leave, um, and go on his journey. So he goes on his journey. And what you just said, Dr. Lahab, is an interesting parallel to so many stories that uh, I have biographically read about a significant number of people who were born with absolute nothing in abject poverty, and yet they had this, they had this drive in them that they knew that there was something greater for them out there. They, they intuitively knew that they could reach a higher level than their existence at that moment. And, and almost all of them will say, and oftentimes it is a, a mother-like figure, uh, sometimes not, but it, there, it, there's always a figure that helped them believe that belief help them to understand that belief and was willing to and was willing to give up the one precious thing that they have so that that individual could go on and become something greater than than they were and greater than he was at the present moment Ooh. in other words we all need somebody to believe in us yeah if somebody believes in us especially at an early through our childhood years um, it opens up the world to us, and we have a belief and a faith that we can achieve greater things than we have even imagined. And that that story is just throughout throughout the world and throughout time. Yeah. So this is a really important point about adoption, right? So there was adoption way before. It was a legal, um, very complicated process. So, you know, there's a lot of kids in the system who are, who need adoption. It's girls and boys who haven't had the chance or opportunity. Um, this story reflects adoption also. This is about how we take care of the other, the one who has nothing. 
And you could see that in the boy because he is taken care of. You could see whatever he meets, whatever insect or fish or animal he meets, he helps. So, because he was helped, because that's how the beginning starts. If you're not helped, very good it's very difficult to know what to help is. You've never been helped, so how do you identify it? How do you know that um, what would be helpful to somebody? Yeah. It's a good litmus test for us all. I mean, if if we if we don't have a natural instinct to want to help someone when they're in trouble, I'm talking about all things considered equal you know i'm i'm talking about and you know there's safety there for us i mean we're able to we have the ability to help etc cetera, etc cetera. i'm not saying i mean we can't save the world but we can help those around us who are in need when we have the opportunity and if we don't we have to ask ourselves why well and it reverberates throughout society when we don't Yes, it does. It, it becomes it, the society itself reflects it, the position it takes on how it treats its people. The society says a lot about the way we treat the other, the person who is helpless, the person who doesn't have power, the person who is not privileged, the person who um, is born without. Society has a lot to say. So when we, when we talk about these stories, we're talking about the reality that we live in. And the reality that we live in, um, as Dr. Eric put it, we have to take a chance on people. Um, who will? And what kind of society do we live in if we just let people kind of wither away, die away, we see this problem on the streets, right? With the homeless population. We cannot leave people out on the streets. A, it's a healthcare crisis. Just to be simple. I mean, it affects all of us and it could be a contagion effect, something disease, something could happen that basically is because we are neglecting our fellow human beings. We are neglecting to care for them and take care of them. So just simple things that we do in our life that changes people's lives. This kid, as uh, Dr. Lisa put it, he, he claims his name as king at the end of the story, which he has no name at the beginning of the story. He's just a poor orphan boy. So he goes looking for this princess who went to the ball every night. That evening he took his bell and rang it. Suddenly there stood before him a copper horse. And beside it lay a copper jacket. He donned the cloak, jumped on the horse and rode to the ball where he danced with the rose maiden. Remember, the animal comes to save our hero, to give them a purpose. 
okay? This is what we mean by creation. It gives us a purpose. What is our purpose in the world? Wow, well, I'm going to marry the rose baby. That's my purpose. Who she seemed to like the handsome boy. Before the ball was over, however, he stole away and mounted his horse and rode home. The rose maiden told her mother about the handsome boy in the copper jacket. The boy had, however, gone back to herding the geese, only furtively glanced into the flower garden. The next night, the rose maiden again went to the ball. The geese herder again rang his bell and immediately a silver horse stood ready and a silver jacket lay next to it. He threw on the jacket and rode into the city to the ball where he again entertained the rose maiden. It sounds like a modern fairy tale. Who enjoyed his company. Before the ball was over, however, he hurried away and mounted his horse and rode off. The following morning, the rose maiden told her mother about the handsome boy she had spoken with who was dressed in a silver coat. The boy was looking after his geese, only cast sidelong looks to flower garden. The girl's mother wanted to get behind the secret of the handsome boy and advised her daughter to take some pitch with her to the ball. And when he danced with the handsome boy to rub it in his hair. So to Mark. The next evening, she again went to the ball and this time took the little piece of pitch with her. This time, the geese herder rang his bell, a golden horse appeared. Along with a golden cloak at the ball, he went right up to the rosemary and danced with her. As her mother had advised the girl, rubbed the pitch into his hair as they danced. I cannot believe that he let her. He was, he was so smitten with her. He just let her rub dirt in his hair. Okay. The boy didn't notice. How did you not notice that she's rubbing dirt in your hair? You've fallen in love. As usual, left the ball before it was over and rode back to his sleeping hut. Right. And this is where Dr. Eric says it's like Cinderella. I also, it is like Cinderella, but also in the point that you were making, Dr. Eric, about the alchemical and also Dr. Lahab, the alchemical progression uh, of evolution in this story, it's kind of subtle, but you have a sense, a feeling that this boy with each horse is growing more confident, more centered, more um, assured about his his purpose and not as distracted. Uh, and so he's not, uh, he, the feelings of insecurities are diminished and, and not as much as in the, in the picture. Uh, he started like gazing at the girl from afar in the garden yeah. uh, to furtively looking to casting sideways, but he's, he's already moving. And in that same realm of like, does she even know I exist? She, he's also feeling which each ball he advances first, she kinds of thinks he's okay. Then she enjoyed his company. And then at the very last ball, he went right up to her. So there's this growth that he's going through with uh, each silver, copper, silver, gold horse event. Yeah, that's a good description. Yeah, so so uh, Dr. Lisa, perfectly. The consciousness keeps expanding. 
with each new symbol, with each new archetypal symbol from copper to silver to gold, his consciousness is actually expanding. And you described it beautifully by saying the way he looks at a situation now. He doesn't need to fully gaze at it. He could look at it sideways, which means he could perceive a lot more than he did, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what Dr. Lisa is talking about. His perception is growing. His ideas are growing. His confidence, which is also part of his developmental process, is growing. Uh, beautifully said, Dr. Lisa. So, um, and then... He sat the rose maiden on the golden steed and wrapped her in his golden coat. The mother he mounted on the silver horse and gave her the silver coat. He himself jumped on the copper horse and put on the copper jacket. Then they all sprang off in haste. In the castle, there was a mighty barrel with three iron hoops. The dragon had been hibernating in the cast, but was just then waking up. So as soon as the mission seems to be over, and as soon as everything seems to be going home, a surprise jumps up. A kind of terrifying surprise comes out of a barrel. So deep within the unconscious, we can't see it, right? It's within the barrel. So it's deep within the unconscious. Within this barrel, something is transforming. And that transformative thing is the dragon. It's hibernating. In the cast, but just then waking up, suddenly one of the hoops sprang apart, the second and the third. Again, three levels of consciousness. Break, break, break. Copper, silver, gold. Right? So now he has to face, the more you're conscious in the world, the more dangerous the world is. That's how it is, right? Dr. Lisa, what do you think? The more <laughs> conscious you are, the more you're aware of danger. <laughs> That, but then you can see more choices. That's right. <laughs> of course, you can see safety and you can see possibility and defense, but you're also now aware a lot more about the dangers of the world. Before, you were not aware of the dangers of the world. You know, you lived in your bubble, you lived in your egg, you lived in your cave, as Plato would say. You did not know the world was dangerous. You didn't know that the complexes and the archetypes existed both within and without. Because whatever exists within, as Yang says, is therefore must be, must exist outside. So whatever exists within us is outside of us and whatever exists outside is actually part of what's within us. So our reality, the way we see the world, the way we configure things, the way we look at things, and the way we conceptualize our issues, our solutions, and our own problems. That's where it comes from. 
So here comes the dragon. The dragon is a test, of course. It's not just a test of bravery. Any fool can fight a dragon. It's a test of wits. This is a very dangerous beast. One fingernail, one blow of wind from, with, from the mouth of the dragon, you're toast. So this is a battle of wits. This is not only can you have to be conscious. Now you have to use that consciousness um, in a way that you've never used it before. Right, Dr. Lisa? Within mm -hmm. uh, danger, there's opportunity. Mm -hmm. right? So this is the opportunity and this is what the boy has to face. Now the dragon rubbed his eyes and looked around. It's like, it's almost like looking for the boy. Because it woke up because of the boy. So now what we see in the stories as, you know, something that we kind of alluded to, but we haven't really got into. The antagonist is always looking for the primary character. And the primary character is the other antagonist. It's always looking for a shadow. The boy's shadow is the dragon. His rage, his anger, all the things that the boy has disassociated about his existence lives within the dragon that breathes fire. So the dragon the shadow of the boy sees the world in a very different place. It sees it as a very hostile place and it has to take command of it. So what does the dragon do? Where is my rose maiden, the dragon says. Mine, right? So what does the boy say to the mother, to the old woman? He says, one day I'm going to marry the rose maiden. I'm going to bring her. She's so basically saying, no, she's mine, right? Okay. So this is how we know that the story, this is an internal conflict, right? So we have all the different psychological, psychic elements that are colliding. But nobody answered. Then he jumped up and looked in every room all over the garden, but there was nobody there. He hurried to the stable, jumped on his stallion, saying, take me to the thieves as fast as you can. It was not long before he reached the fugitives. As soon as the dragon approached, they became transfixed on the spot and could not move. Then the dragon thundered, I could smash you, you little earthworm, but that would bring me no fame. Then he took from the boy his bell, copper, silver, and golden horses. But the rose maiden and her mother turned back to the castle. So what does he say to him? So this is how we know it's his shadow. He calls him an earthworm. So that's how deep down inside the boy feels about himself. That's what he believes. That's been disassociated. 
The dragon brings it out. Now the boy is conscious. The boy is being traumatized, right? Everything that he thought he had achieved is being taken away piece by piece. He's being dismantled. Yeah, this is, Dr. Lahab, this is an interesting parallel that I've seen in my own life as well as in the lives of others that when we, I mean, so far he's done everything right. He's been preparing himself. Uh, he had someone helping him. Then he started preparing himself. He started going through his journey. He started uh, overcoming things. He started growing as uh, Dr. Lisa explained so well. And then when our real, when our demon finally comes out, when our shadow comes out, and this is what happens a lot. The shadow is asking, where, it, where are you? Where is everyone? And if, the if our shadow doesn't get answered, the shadow turns, turns against us. The shadow the now says he's a thief and comes after him to attack him. And I've just seen that happen so many times that when I have dark sides of me that's trying to grab my attention and I avoid it or push it away or don't acknowledge it, it comes after me, this time not asking. It comes after me attacking, or at least I feel attacked by it. Absolutely. And, absolutely. and, it, and it's a... It's a it's a great lesson for us to pay attention to our dark voices as well as our happy voices. Well, we must answer the inner voice. Yes. So this unknown voice that we call dark voice because we can't see it, basically. But this voice, we have to answer it. We have to, because the more we cower in fear, the more tyrannical the voice becomes. Yes. We just want to avoid paralysis. We want to avoid no movement. We want yeah. to avoid acting like an ostrich. Yeah, <laughs> yes, right. But we must know what those hidden, those other, all the voices, all the voices. Mm -hmm. Especially this voice, this voice that doubts you, mm -hmm. this voice that you're afraid of, this voice that keeps telling you you're nothing, even though now you've earned a PhD or now you've built a million dollar company or now you own your own home or now you've had children or now that you're raising your family, whatever it is that for you is a major accomplishment that you have achieved, that you've made in your life. If that voice goes unanswered, then all accomplishments are crap. They all go into the dustbin. They're all thrown away because that voice will tear you apart because that voice is your fear, right? It's your disassociated fear and self-loathing. That's the voice and that's a scary voice. Yeah, the voice called him a little earthworm and then yeah. took everything he, everything yeah. he accomplished up to that point. Yeah, and left him alive. Yes. To think about it. Say, oh, I need you to think about this. Look what I've done. Or and saying, to the boy's credit, he 
to his credit, I have you got to give him credit here. To his credit, he then branches out on another journey mm -hmm. to get because he's not he's not quitting. He's not through. And he didn't take that defeat as, oh, well, I tried. Now there's nothing left for me. I'm giving it all up. It just mm -hmm. motivated him to get in there and continue the journey. But usually there's a piece of depression with this kind of loss before you continue the journey. But, you know, it's a fairy tale. Dr. Yeah. Lisa, you had something. What were you saying? Um two things one one was about he also didn't oftentimes i think people also react in retaliation and Ooh. go head on into the danger not and not knowing their boundaries and they get themselves into um, more trouble by attacking the lion in that situation good point um so that's another route um but my my segue was a little tangential but very applicable Ooh. jamp yeah Jamp is a method for you to calm those nerves and yeah. terminate or give you the space from your original reaction mm -hmm. so that you can know the other side and understand it so it doesn't scare you anymore. Mm -hmm. well, said. well said, Dr. Lisa, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, because then it's no longer dissociated. That's right. You feel it. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't take over. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So then you don't go through depression. Then you just, you face what you face. And in this case, what happens to him is he goes, the question becomes, the story is asking a question, is, are these three stages of consciousness only external or has he internalized them that's the question because they're taken away from him right the copper the silver the gold the maiden the mother remember always very important when you hear mother this is a story about an orphan mm -hmm. so it's not just the rose maiden it's her mother right otherwise the rose maiden would end up being the mother to this child right? because he didn't have a mother now he could see a mother this is the earth mother right so <clears throat> we now he has to ask himself did i did i learn have i become conscious do I believe in myself? Can I do this again? Can I win again? Because this is the question, right? You failed. This is about failure also. Mm -hmm. It's about just when you think you've reached the top and then suddenly your foot starts feeling weird. You start looking at the, at the floor and the floor is moving. And suddenly you have no traction and you're falling back, back, back. And you're at the bottom of the heap and you're staring up and say, how did I get down here? I was up there. I had achieved, I have done everything. 
because that's what life teaches you is like whatever mountain you climb you roll off of you have to climb another mountain that's the story of existence right there's always something that you have to become conscious of and why do we use climbing mountains i mean it was like how many people have mountains in their backyards i mean we're washington state so we have a lot of mountains but how many people really do not that many so why do we use mountain because mountain represents consciousness it's a symbol it's a symbol of the divine also because it's close to the clouds it's close to the heavens it touches the heavens so it's the ultimate form of consciousness so climbing the mountain is the ultimate form of consciousness symbolically because what you're doing is you're expanding your consciousness above the ordinary the ordinary is flatland so you're getting the perspective from a very it's a very different perspective and once you have that perspective you're changed forever. It's not a fleeting change. And that's what Jamp does. Yeah. Not to go off a tangent. It's not a fleeting change. It changes you forever. Now you have to adapt to yourself in the new situation. You adapt to the new you. The you without triggers. The you without... Um, hibernating the you without fear the you who's out there who's scared that comes home you are able to leave so this is the interesting about fear fear can't be far away if it's far away that means that it controls you because fear is there to save your life Fear is there not to dominate and control your life. That's the difference. So a little fear, great. Fear that I can't see, terrible. Because it will terrorize you. And that's what disassociated states, that's what happens in disassociated states. That's what happens in a lot of these orphan kids because they've been neglected. They've been abused. And so absolutely, um, trauma treatment is required, Dr. Lisa. And JAMP would be um, at the forefront, I think, of trauma treatment or should be. Because that's, that's what you need to do. The more integrated you are, the more you sit in the middle, the more you sit in yourself, the more grounded you are, the more you can feel the ground. You could have your feeling state. You could reflect to the situation without reacting to the situation. You have reflected. You have thought it out. And now you're reacting. So I'm not saying that the reaction is going to be, uh, what's the word for it, the right one. But you're reflecting on your reaction. So if it isn't the right one this time or the second time or the third time, the fourth time it will be. 
And you don't hold yourself so hard. You don't. You don't dismiss yourself. You don't. You don't become sarcastic about who and what you are. Because this is, this is about healing, and healing takes many different forms. In this form, the trauma, the disassociated material, needs to come back into the light. The dragon needs to be integrated, as Dr. Lisa said. Without the dragon being integrated, the dragon will continue to terrorize you and take everything you have. Okay, so if we're talking to uh, people with addiction, they know the dragon. They know when the dragon comes and takes everything they have. They actually call it a dragon. Right? So, Back to our story. The dragon goes back to the castle. What does the dragon do? Does the dragon celebrate, have a dance, take out the champagne, bring out the rum? What does the dragon do? The dragon climbed back into his barrel to take another long rest. Yeah, he just took the trash out and then went back to bed and locked the door behind him. That's right. <laughs> He's resting. So your psychic material after you have faced your dragon, facing your dragon, everybody has a dragon and everybody faces that dragon. And it's usually not one time event. If anybody's watching the new series, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Darth Vader faces off with Ben his old teacher, not once, not twice, because you have to keep seeing your shadow. Because that shadow cannot be killed off. And the, in the second fight, I don't know, I don't want to be a spoiler, but there is opportunities to kill each other. I won't say who is who. But those opportunities are not taken for a reason. The question then becomes, what are we trying to learn? Right? So each fight between them is about domination of one over the other. No, I am right. No, I am right. My beliefs are right. No, my beliefs are right. And it's a saga. It goes on and on and on. And this is why I think uh, this is why I believe that all people need help. And I'm not saying it has to be professional help. I mean, it, we agree with you, Dr. Eric. I al although that is good and sometimes necessary and needed, but we have to have help because look, look what happened to him. He's been battling his demons. He's been battling his dark side. He's been battling his shadow he kind of gets beat up by a shadow. The shadow goes away and starts resting and recharging. And then somewhere along the line, he has grown enough to realize and understands the situation enough to realize, okay, I'm going to go after what created the shadow. Ooh. I'm going to go after its mother. <laughs> and, and it took him a year 
of working with what created the dragon, the dragon's mother. Sometimes we focus, it's so easy to just focus on the symptoms of what we're battling with that we forget or get sidetracked into trying to understand what created those symptoms in the first place. And that really is where we need help from other people because we can't see it all ourselves. No, no, but any journey of healing requires you to go through the mother complex. You are correct. If you do not face and work through your mother complex, your journey is stunted. Because the mother holds the secrets, right? The father holds the order. The mother holds the secrets of the world. So you have to go through the complex to work out the material that is moving you along like a chess piece. Yes. In life. When we don't work out the material, you're just a pawn on that chessboard. And you don't want to be a pawn on the chessboard. You want to take a better position. Yeah. You want to have more options. You want to be the queen for sure. But you don't have to be. But you don't want to be a pawn. You have no latitude as a pawn. And that's what this kid is learning. He doesn't want to be the pawn. He doesn't want to be just getting rid of. And the fight is, is going to be ugly. He knows it. He's scared. Right? So... Although he looked long and everywhere, he could not find her. Evening was fast approaching. Then he called the raven and said, help me if you can. The bird said the mare was in the clouds and has brought a foal into the world. And this is when he goes to work for the witch. Because he needed a horse. And he needed a horse that's a heavenly horse, right? This is a supernatural horse. This is born in the clouds. It's the only horse. So this horse reminds me of Jam. It's the only horse that can beat the dragon. As we see, the horse in the end tramples the dragon. It's a beautiful story. When the boy had arrived at the palace, he jumped down from his mare, climbed over the garden hedge, greeted and embraced the rose maiden. The return of the hero. His mare had turned around and was on her way back to the old woman. It's a magical mare, doesn't belong to him. Then he took the rose maiden in marriage and they lived gloriously and joyfully after all. Well, ever after. But that's the journey, the journey of life, right? <clears throat>
Great story. Great, great fairy tale. Great story. Great fairy tale. It really was a good story. It really was. Had very, it was empathic. It was dramatic. It was action packed. Um, You could actually empathize with the dragon. It's like, why are you fucking with my shit? (laughs) (laughs) And it was, it was very, it was very growth. Get away. It was very, it was very growth oriented too. Mm. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think a lot of our stories, uh, almost all of our fairy tales are about growth in different ways. Yes. And this story growth as a consciousness, even though in all the stories, there is a consciousness that needs to be had for them to move forward. This kid does the extra lap. He deals with the witch. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't he doesn't try to cheat her. He doesn't try to kill her. He doesn't steal from her. He actually plays her game and ends up winning. So that's that's huge. Mm-hmm. Right? Because after that defeat you would not want to be in a position where you could be defeated again. But it was constant for him. It was, he was put through three tasks. And each task, he would produce a new fold. A new magical fold. In the end, she could not deny him what she had promised. So life gives you promises. Being born into this world, you have promises in your head. Those are the archetypal gods. They have spoken to you. They have told you you are meant for greatness. The question then becomes, what is greatness for you? And greatness is about healing. It's about going through the world not in pain, not in conflict, not in contradiction. When we're traumatized, we see those who want to help us as enemies. Those who reach out to touch us become uh, people who are crossing the line because I don't know how to be touched. I don't want to be talked to. I don't want to hear anybody. I'm always scared. And that becomes a problem. That causes more um, isolation type behavior and it causes more pain. Right? So when you can't be touched, can you imagine? So when you can't be touched, when you can't be physically touched without freaking out, your body turns on you. Because that is number one way of soothing itself, is touch. Is to be touched, is to touch. When that is missing, the body is in constant alarm. It's like it's boiling within itself. The body also stops growing. Interestingly enough, physical touch increases the release of growth hormone. And when we don't get touch, we don't get as much growth hormone. Yeah. And, and 
every part of our body just doesn't grow as much. Yeah, and trauma and trauma shames us in ways that touch becomes a problem. That yes. has to be resolved. That has to be resolved sooner than later. Because if you're not being touched, you have a whole slew of illnesses. A whole slew of them. Pain in your leg, pain in your stomach, pain in your back, in your neck, in your shoulder. You had acid reflux, your feet hurt. You're not being touched. And that's where treatment for trauma comes in. The more you're treated for trauma, the more you're treated with jam, the better you're off then you are able to tolerate touch. You are not hypervigilant. You're not paranoid. You're not trying to chew your arm off. Because what happens? What happens when we're so anxious? We eat our fingernails and to the point where the back of our fingernails are almost all gone, raw. We pull out hair, right? We start to have ulcers. We start to cramp up. We start having muscle cramps. This is all because we are like, basically the body is in a state of panic. It's like a volcano that's erupting. And so the more we isolate ourselves because of trauma, the more touch is not soothing to us, the more we're in danger. 100% we're in danger. Great story. So, Um, with that, any other thoughts, Dr. Eric, Dr. Lisa? I don't think so. Not for me. Okay. Well, we will be back next week. Dr. Lisa, what's going on? Oh, yeah. I did have one closing observation about the story, which I liked a lot. And in the first half of the story, um, the boy was helped um, by his orphan mother. And in the second half of the story, he went out on it on his own and resourced himself in a way to set himself up Ooh. for opportunities. And I, I like that aspect as well in mm. his growth. There's uh, what's interesting about the story. There's no um, patriarchy. Mm. Also, this is a matriarchal story. If you've noticed, all the characters, the main characters, except for the boy, are feminine. The dragon, the mother, the rose maiden, the old lady, the witch, all of them are feminine characters. He becomes a king, but he is the lone masculine character in the story. And only because of them 
It's what they give him, what they teach him, and the, the way they move him. He is able to be. And even the tinkling of the bell is related to femininity and not masculinity. Absolutely. Absolutely. The foals. Yeah, they were yeah. fillings. All yeah. three of them were fillings. Yeah. Absolutely. <clears throat> With that, we will be back next week. I am Dr. Lahab El Samurai. This is the IFC's Individuation Podcast. And we are not afraid. We are not afraid. We are not afraid. We are not afraid. We are the Institute for Conflict. And we will meet you next week for another story of Mary Louise von Franz's The Hero's Journey. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the IFC's Individuation Podcast. We hope you enjoyed hearing from Dr. Eric Tomlinson and Dr. Lisa Hong and Dr. Al Samurai. We'd also like to thank Eric and Lisa for taking the time to join us. You can also find us on the IFC's YouTube. Make sure to check out the JAM Institute for Training's Magician's Call podcast as well. Tune in again next time to the IFC's Individuation Podcast for another episode soon. The IFC is a non-for-profit institution. We do not have any paid advertising for our podcast, but we do accept donations. All donations and contributions are tax-deductible. You can find more information at instituteforconflict.com. 